16 through 32. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. Some of them asked, what is the blabber, what is the blabberer trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what you mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds like certain coffee shops I know. Uh, Anyway, 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made of every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they would live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. This is the word of the Lord. Make sure you can hear me better. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. We're going to continue on our sermon series on American idols. And for this one, the idol of relativism... Let me take you to ancient Athens, a place where the great philosophers and spiritualists gathered to debate and hear new ideas. The Bible says that that's all some of them did hear and debate and deny and accept new gods or or new ways of thinking. And there were two heavyweights there, the Epicureans who were Hedonistic atheists who love fast cars, expensive meals, shots and chasers and chicken wings. And with them were the Stoics, you know, boring know-it-alls who rejected everything emotional or, or emotionally or physically gratifying. They were a bunch of health food, no-taste junkies who thought ordering water instead of red Kool-Aid would help them escape life's tension on the way to a higher cheese. Some of them were even just fun enough to be reincarnationists. 
But as you can expect with these two extreme opposite uh, groups following Rodney King's cue, like like good neighbors, they were always looking for new ways for us all just to get along. And so they call in the Apostle Paul one day to explain his new Jesus stuff, this new gospel stuff. And like so many times before, if he were accepted as logical or or viable fitting in, then maybe his God and his belief, Jesus, could be in the top 12 of Roman Greco idol. They did what many of us work to do. Find a way to live and do and be whom and what they and everybody else wanted to be. An ethic of so-called freedom for those of you who are old enough to kind of have this Bobby Brown philosophy of, of, of life. It's my prerogative and your prerogative and all together now we can do what we want to do. See what I got him, but anyway. It did get him Whitney though. Oh, Through Paul's recorded conversation with them here in Acts, God speaks to those of us today who live to make all truth fit with ours or make none of it fit, to to force square pegs in round holes and call it getting along. To, as the rappers of CM say, put sugar on bacon and call it a religious delicacy. To put philosophical paisley with plaid and say it's somehow fashionable. So the idol of relativism is about living and and acting and accepting that that we all can and must see and and know for ourselves truth and, and only for ourselves what we are to believe. For our discussion here, let's start where Paul starts. With the notion, with the idea, with this fact that no one person, nobody can truly know it all. Look with me at verse 25 in chapter 17. It says here, um, and, and rather, let's start at 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And then in verse 29, Paul goes on to say, therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we should not think that the divine is being being is like gold or, or, or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. What is Paul saying here? That that we can't make or create or hold truth in and of ourselves if ultimate truth personified happens to be God. And even the philosophers agree with with this. They, They always have to hear a new thought. They have to leave room for a new way of thinking. And Paul is saying and agreeing with them that God is saying, hey, look, you're limited in your perspective. You're limited in your cognition, which means you're limited in your comprehension of what you see or experience or think you feel. So, here we go. You see, truth and God are like a cat. A cat that needs to be caught by us to make life right. For us. I discovered this 
while I was looking for my cat, Silas. Silas is a tomcat. Enough said. He lives outside. And he has needed his shots for like a year now. And every time I've made an appointment, after appointment, I have to tell the people at the vet, hey, look, let's go for 2.30 today. That's only if I can find him. And they're like, okay, we understand. And it just hadn't happened. Well, we eventually did get him. But but did that come to be not true all the time, if you will? You see, catching a cat is is first about perspective, especially my cat. I mean, I think about the many ways I've seen him coming. He's coming from this street, and he's coming out of this house, and he's coming down this alley, and he's maybe uh, jumping in the lawn uh, in, in, the, in the empty lot across the street. And, and I, he comes so many different times in so many different ways, and I got this little click-clack thing I do with my mouth. This is a thing I do. And, and there I am. I'm clicking and clacking and shaking food. You know, the food makes, I have this hard case and I'm clicking and clacking and shaking food in this direction and that direction. And, and there's this house next to me that's had a fire and so nobody's lived there for a while. But it's Silas's new condo now. So sometimes, you know, I'll go and, and you know, it's boarded up and I can kind of look in, but I can't go in. All I can do is and shake the food, hoping that he comes out looking for him, and he is sometimes there. And so I've tried three or four different approaches. I even followed another cat, hoping they would be good friends. And I felt stupid, clicking and clacking when people would go by. What's wrong with this brother? Shaking the can. Doing a dance, walking around, and, uh, and I'm looking for a cat. And they give me this look like, oh, fool, cats don't come when they're called. There I was, looking for something invisible, something impossible to get to come that I knew was there, but with no regulated way of finding him and having it. And so I felt crazy, but here come Harrison and Clark, my boys. Yes. More of us. It just feels better. You know how it is when you believe in something like you might find something. You look at, it just feels better to have someone with you looking for it. And let me tell you, my boys, are they are fervent. They're committed. And more eyes are better than just mine. Plus jackpot. Harrison says, I saw him. I saw him, daddy. Saw him in the backyard. Okay, so I go out thinking he saw him. And then he says, yes, when I was sleeping, I saw him. Now, this is halfway down the street. And and halfway up the block, he says, oh, yeah, that house over there, house I've never seen. That house, he's in the attic. I saw him go up in the attic, Daddy. Okay, so his time was a little messed up. His perspective was a little skewed. And Harrison can tell I'm disappointed. So my little boy, my oldest, says, Daddy... I got it. I'll turn into Spider-Man. And jump around and I can find him. And then Clark says, well, I'm going to turn into Thomas the Train. (laughs) And Harrison looks at him and says, you can't turn into Thomas the Train. (laughs) A relativistic search for truth. How depressing. How deceptive. And Paul is saying to them and us, what do you really know? How can you be sure? 
considering when we look at the time continuum of, of just human existence for a while. You and I are simply children of an age, of a generation. Yeah, we're more advanced than 2,000 years ago, but we still, when we're looking for truth, have a child's imagination ripe and right for our age. Yeah, for me it was Ultraman, or, and for Terrence it was He-Man. But what do I mean? You and I only see and seek truth from one limited, historically juvenile perspective, and for truth, which is like a cat, it comes and comes in many reasons, in many angles, and a number of applications over the years in all countries and languages and groups of people. So like children... Searching for a cat made young and silly by our age, experience, and limited youth of our human experience. No one person can say they truly know and operate in that knowledge without question. No one can get and capture certain absolute knowledge of truth and God. Not absolutely living true and fully in that knowledge. I come from a fairly conservative denomination and we throw around this term absolute truth we got it and yes i believe there's absolute truth but but in your goal of finding the lost cat of worth or significance or security though absolutely true that something is wrong with us that there is something there that something has been there and is lost and so many people need it so badly you and i don't possess absolute truth. We don't own it. We, we can't put it in our pocket. We get pow-pow, absolute truth whenever we want to. I mean, just because you believe you are the Superman or Spider-Man or shake a can of religion or click and clack out some magic phrase that that will make God or truth come and be your prisoner for everyone in the world to see that you are so right and he is real in the way you have called him and think you see him. Paul saying you can't create God out of human design and human ingenuity. I mean, you can only click and clack in one direction with your truth and you're claiming to be able to save the world and all the world's issue by your personal assessment and understanding of what is true. Absolute truth, yes, is there. But no one person in arrogance can truly get it or hold it or say they're the sole possessor of it. But absolute truth has a diabolical twin that some of us flirt with. Absolutely no truth. See, Paul is saying to the Greek philosophers, man, you are clicking and clacking for God with your gods and philosophies and got nothing for some of your questions in life. So you know what you've done? You've left room for nothing. You've got this idol to uh, 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 the unknown God. You've left, left room for your own unknowability, for what is still yet to be known or discovered. They were smart after all. They realized what God and Scripture had already told us. Nobody can know it or have it all. We're human. You and I. Let me tell you what happens. You and I will have to resort to imagination and what drives our hearts to find what we know is absolutely wrong or right, there or not there, maybe there or not there. And for these limitations, everybody must know and act 
based on their own assessments. Driven by fear of having life figured wrong or arrogance that you must be right too, some of us will fight and fuss for everyone to have the right to make up truth based on their personal assessments. So like Harrison says to Clark, after proclaiming that he's going to become Spider-Man, and Clark says he's going to be Thomas, Clark, you can't be Thomas! It's amazing what happens here. He has to come back and say, all right, yeah, you can turn into Thomas the Train too. You see, he has to say yes, you can to Clark so that his crazy idea can be as well. See, the philosophers want to hear Paul's talk about Jesus. To not hear is to destroy all their gods, summed up into one, relativism, a god for their own individual fear and arrogance. So, Paul, let's hear about your god so that we can accept what you know and believe, so that we can be able to believe what we want to, too. I mean, I knew not to trust Harrison's eyes and thoughts about he saw him. But I was afraid what that would say about me. I mean, if I didn't trust the four-year-old, he just walks around something. This morning is funny. He goes running out the door like he's heading towards Street Kelly. Stop! Don't go out that door. And Harrison's like, I'm four. Mama, I'm four. I'm four. You know, so I, I'm like, I'm stupid for being out here looking for a lost cat. And I can't be that humble. I can't sit and just wait like some sort of invalid fool. And so I'm like, yeah, Harrison, you saw him too. All right, we all feel good together. And that's part of what drives us. We don't want to be invalid. We don't want to be invalid. So we say, I am not that bad. Oh, oh, you're not that bad either? Okay, that's fine. You searching for God too? Why you... Why are you looking down there for God? Or oh, peace or love. It ain't over there. Oh, oh, oh well, that, that's okay. No problem. Or else, if I don't accept how you look for God or how you look for truth or how you comprehend it, then at my own search and finds are fool's gold and I'm a fool too. And so like the philosophers, let's create room to accept. Let's create room to not be corrected, but added on when necessary. And you know what happens? The cat stays lost, but we make our lives worth something and valued because we are all at least looking like everyone else. But we all know it's easier said than done. Why? Because beliefs have ethics and ethics affect others. That's what they wanted to know here. Paul, we want to hear about the gospel. We want to hear about Jesus. We want to hear about this new church stuff, all this you know, disciple, apostle stuff. But I just, we really want to know. The reason we want to hear is we want to know, will your God hurt our gods? Is he unknown? That's fine. Does he fit in with the others? No problem, man. But your God can't be so real and so true that our gods aren't. There's a big reason for and a big problem with believing like this. Beliefs have ethics, and again, ethics have real-life effects. Basically, let me explain what's going on. Basically, the gods here were accepted if they supported the dominant Greek way of life. 
For the Epicureans, they'll welcome any God that would allow them to eat and sex around and, and for some even sleep with children, men with little boys, people with animals. I mean, they could justify their, their gladiator game. Just take all the poor folk and all the folk who, who don't believe us. Let's just throw them in and see how they do against a lion. Woohoo! Let's sell tickets, man. Let, let's have the, let, let's tailgate at the death of people who can't stand up for themselves. You know, let's, let's make sure we get gods that allow us to do those things. And it keeps things equal and balanced, right? To be safe, to believe and do what they wanted. But more than that, I think for some of us, we all, in some way, have created a place for an unknown God. Just like them, we kind of leave room where our mind can't take us. You know, there's certain things you don't understand. There's certain things that frustrate you about this world. There's certain things that frustrate you even about the God if you're Christians. There's certain things that frustrate you about the way your God works. And so I think all of us somehow leave a little place for an unknown God, just like them, to deal with what, from our perspective, are problems in the world that the God we have hasn't dealt with or dealt well with us in. There's too much evil, God. And what about those people in a desert island? And what What about hell and what about the poor? We have to have room for more or less than this or that one God. Because we don't believe he speaks well enough. We don't believe he speaks enough to that person or this person or even to the issue you're dealing with right now. Everybody got that little thing. Ah, That little screw that won't go in all the way. You know, in your heart, just won't work, won't, won't fit, you know? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And you hear about Jesus, like, oh man, but that Trinity thing, oh, oh, it just won't, just won't fit, I can't, I can't make it work, or, 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 you know, all these things that just won't go together, so I need to leave room for an unknown God. For it to be filled in maybe by somebody else, or be filled in by, by, by nothing. And we, I think, are wary that one belief being true is Hitler dangerous. So, you know what we need? We need a lot of contradictory truths to stop world domination by one crazy person or people. I think some of us in our church experience with Christianity, like others, you've discovered this. Church people can be mean. They mean, man. You young folk, act right now. When we were your age, we weren't like you. We were born like Jesus. I know that little tattoo y'all got on. Don't ask that question. You're just a stupid fool if you ask that question. Church people have been mean. And for, hey, look, as a black man, I mean, hey, hey the, 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 the history of our denomination, and I ain't gonna just put on us, the Baptists, the Methodists, you just name them all, all the Protestants, you can name down the line, and, and even some Southern Catholics, they just been racist. And church is too culturally biased. Right? This is the way God is. Brother, you need to wear your hair like this. Need to walk like that. So some of us think, man, that's just a white, the white rich man's God. Because why 
why is it a theme like Christianity in the South? It always keeps the right white rich man on top. Gosh, God loves some white rich men. I'm telling you. I can't follow this God. I'm like Malcolm X. I'm going to follow the white man God. I don't know who that is. Never forget the time I brought this painting of Jesus home. It was great. He looked so semantic. I was so right. And I had it up on my wall. It was one summer after college. I was, you know, a real Jesus freak. And I mean, and so I was put it up on the wall. You know, I'm praying by it. Got my little set up, my Bible. My daddy comes in. Hey, boy, take that white man off the wall. <laughs> what? Daddy, that's Jesus. No, it ain't, boy. That's a white man. I don't know who that is. Better take up. So even now we go into Christian bookstores and there's a picture of Jesus Kelly. Be like, Howard, who's that white man right there? Sometimes we even say it out loud. I remember I had a discussion with with one of our uh, a, prof- a professor, and and it was he was talking about abortion, and abortion's been a hot issue with, with Christians and and and, and right wing Christian politics in particular. I'm not talking about ministering the gospel to people who are struggling through this issue. I'm talking about just being right about it. You right, I'm wrong, whatever, you know. And so I, he, we were talking about. It. I said, look, let me ask you a question. Let's talk about doctors who do abortions, because I don't know how it came up. Because, you know, the belief is it's wrong. And and so I'm like, if he's a Christian and he still does it for two or three years, what you think? He's like, "Mm mm-mm, ain't no way he can be a Christian. Two or three years? You think Lord will work on his heart? I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. What about our church denomination? What about two and three hundred years of racism? Any of those people Christians? But, 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 yeah, but they had a blind spot. What do you mean they had a blind spot? I'm going to another God now. I can't take this. Oh yeah, you could you could treat black folk like animals for two or three hundred years and you go to heaven. But if you're on the wrong political side of the line, you go to hell, right? Things like that make it hard. So I understand. So we seek and live to prove to them that, that we are all playing a game. That all of our gods are right and all are wrong. And we essentially, like the philosophers, build an altar to what we can't come to terms with, what we can't deal with or understand. So we look for a new Bible or a new sect or a new ancient religion to go back to. It's either the world has all gone to hell, so let's just take it as it comes, or what a lot of our Christians, a lot of we Christians have done, let's run scared to our fortresses of absolute truth, having right-wing Republicans, or the Fort Knox of don't come if you're rich, or stay away if you like watching the 700 Club, all built to help people from our angle of hurt or insecurity. Relativism. Big time. How do you think got all these denominations? Relativism. Big time. But how long can you and I live in despair? How long can we live having nothing be counted on and having all truth be scary and seeking a cat that will not come and having to either be God or control your God? Let me tell you about the God that Paul's talking about here. He is like a cat. He comes how he has decided. From the angle he has picked. 
from the geography he does and does not answer to click and clack whenever we want him to. No, the God of the Bible is not relative. He's the same every day. How is that? He never stops being God. And for us, that's good news because for our sake, he is and always is God for you regardless of who you are because, now this going to sound strange, he is a relative God. Now, now, what's that mean? Look at Paul here in verse 24, again through 26. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and, and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. The God you're looking for, he created you. He designed where and how we should live, each one of us, our culture, our community. God doesn't need you to tell you, to, doesn't need you to tell who or how he is. He doesn't need you to have absolute truth about him. He lets us know that being in relationship with him as humans is more about being known than knowing that we all are kind of walking with, with the uncertainty of little boys and girls who may not always be able to see God fully, but may be able to know fully that God sees you and me and the world we can't handle. And it's many people with different experiences, more absolutely than we see ourselves and that he relates yourself to you. And it's true and right in his knowledge of you and me and this world. God is like the cat in the house and down the street, yes, and even in the attic. He sees you coming. He sees and he knows you and he knows this world of different clicks and clacks even when you can't see him or see him seeing it or dealing with it. Now, what does this mean? We can only live life according to the ethics and guidance and a degree of certainty if God absolutely and certainly knows and sees and comprehends us in our world. What you really want to know is, does God know? Is there a God that sees us? Is there a God that is there Watching us and knowing us, because come on, man, we can't know ourselves. We can't know our world. Is there is there one up there that's that maybe our source? Is the Bible says our offspring? But it goes further, and it is this: that God relates Himself to us. Let me look at verse. Let's look at verse twenty-seven and twenty-eight quickly. It says, "God did this, created us in different places in different ways, so that." Men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In other words, God makes himself found by you. Now, you don't find and capture him. He decides and has decided in history to be captured, not captured, but to, em- to be embraced by you. What's this mean? 
God won't be caged for your pseudo-absolute truth or your making of just one of the other gods and will not therefore for all times only be true and right according to your own clicking and clacking, shaking and agenda-driven seeking, but he does let himself be known in his way to a world of perspective, which means arrogance goes out of the window. Because he has been found and embraced by different people from different perspectives, from different worlds, in that God is relatives. But in the fact that he does the revealing of himself and his truth, he's the same regardless of the perspective. You don't have to live in despair of looking for an imaginary cat that might be there. Paul says, God is not far from us. Like Paul is sitting there talking to them on God's behalf. He will find us and in that be found by us. It takes all failure and effort away from human fickleness, from our own ability to imagine we understand ourselves, to imagine that you, you really understand the world and all its people. The God of the Bible says, take comfort. I have revealed myself. I have revealed my ethic. I have revealed my truth. I have revealed me. Tell you about the Bible. I looked, I really have looked. The Bible has never asserted itself as the writings of what humans have come up with or found. The Bible is about this. God has found us and introduced himself to us. We didn't have to have the right mining equipment to dig deep enough to find God. But he's come low enough. He, 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 he's come down. He's, he's communicated himself to us. So God's knowledge of truth in God goes this way. To those who can't reach this way. Real interesting what Paul eventually says here. God, the truth, has been made known to us by Jesus, who is revealed by the word of the Bible, Old Testament and now New Testament. It is in Jesus that he entered history. Now get this, God actually entered history to relate himself to our world, and in doing so, he takes the question of truth and makes it an exclamation. God spoke, and it was, and it is, and it does exist. Truth has come in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And what does this mean to have truth be in Jesus for a mixed up world that God relates himself to your world Paul is saying Jesus is the savior Jesus is the savior of an incredibly relative world he's the savior of South Charlotte and North Charlotte. Kelly and I went down at eight, one of them places down, Dean and DeLuca down, down in the south. We don't go down there too much. I rolled up in my, you know, 10-year-old car. Pop, pop, pop. Popping a little bit. Radio sounded good, though. Jesus there too? What? 
Here we got Betsy working the candy aisle. Go, go there. She'll, she'll give you something to taste, too, if you, if you see something. She ain't going to give you the $60 pound candy to taste, though. I'm like, $60 pound candy? I am not in my world. Who can relate to this world, man? What happened to the Boston Beans, man? What happened to the lemon heads? You know, when you're done, you can even make a harmonic out of it. Whoop, whoop. Come on, what happened to the world? Why a sandwich got to cost $7, man? You don't even get no chips to drink with that. If you try to get water, you got to charge you $1.25 for that. What kind of world is that? It's the world that Jesus relates to. You see, what Paul is saying is he is money for the poor, he is poverty for the rich, he's humility for the proud, he's pride for the humiliated, he seeks and takes away sin as it is manifested in every human condition and environment. That Jesus is God come to be relative to your and our condition. We can't have eclectic community without Jesus. Because trust me, I want it my way. And if y'all don't fit in, going out hit the road jack but eclectic community says jesus is a relative god he is real he's never changing but he's able to relate to your relative condition white black green yeah i don't know whatever color you might be some combination of it some type of artistic collage whatever your life is he is saying there is no need to try to build a an altar to an unknown god because the god that is known in jesus has been known in your and for your issues and he, Jesus, forever is the one person, God, for a world of freedom from the fortress of having to be as right or more right than others or having absolute truth or having absolute understanding or clarity on all people or all things on, on what is God doing or having it absolutely proved as correct because he is the world's rightness. You don't have to have it right. The Bible says a righteousness from heaven has been revealed. And that covers your ability to know or not know. That in Jesus you stand righteous before God. You stand as correct. And yes, some crazy things are going on in your mind. But the Bible says Jesus can even handle that. So Paul says, in Jesus God calls us to repent. Repent for relativistic leanings. He's calling us not only to repent, but the word means to relent. To give up trying to find our hope and redemption in everything or nothing. That God, that God who knows us, who sees us, has been gracious to give rest to our minds and souls. And like a good cat, he has come to rub against our condition, to be touched not held, like a cat who's been found, he has found his way to you, touching and being touched and, and being found even by people who are far away from your understanding. Let's face it. Jesus God putting himself in a position to rub against and to handle the world's issue. God is saying, leave the discouragement of not knowing or having to know all behind. You can be known. 
And God has made himself known. And he has made himself known for your perspective issue, for your national issue, in your gender issue, in your spiritual issue. He has become all things. Let me say, he has, he is the everything for all people. And here is the gospel. We are sinners. We make up things to feel right and secure. And we'll even tell God to be quiet if he goes against it. And we have to believe we are right or, or have to believe that there is no right. Or maybe we're victimized by what was called right, having treated us right. Wrong. He calls us sinners to himself to repent, to relent, to find relief, to discover what I finally realized about chasing the lost cat. Jesus, God's truth in the flesh, is not lost. But in our searching for hope and peace and contentment and redemption, we're lost. And he has come in the flesh and spoken about this in scripture to be found and find us wherever we might be looking. That we don't have to despair as lost. For a world that is lost. Because in Jesus, God's shown us. He is not lost. And therefore, he has not lost you. Let us pray. Jesus, you got us. I don't care if we threw put a few apples in the orange bin. You got us. You see us, you find us. Even if we the, the, the last one standing, the, the last one in the group of the only black person in the group of white people, the only white people in the group of black people. If we if we mixed up culturally, if we we got this issue and that issue, Lord, and even not only my little individual issue, but the whole country and the whole world, Lord Jesus, please help us to know you got it. You've become our everything. To a world that is lost, you have found us and even been found. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.